0: The Following audios from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. Um, we're in Psalm 90 this morning. As we press into the Christmas season, I think it's important for us to seek God and understand who God is and how we can take refuge in Him. And one of the things about Psalm 90 is that this psalm is uh, one of the few. Is attributed to Moses. So Moses, the same guy with the Egyptians. And this is a psalm that he wrote, presumably, when they were moving through the desert, when he was leading two to three million people, and he had to watch an entire generation die away because of their sin and rebellion, because God said, Because they rebelled and because they turned against God, one whole generation would die in the desert before they reached the promised land. And this is Moses' psalm. So we're gonna pray, then we're gonna chew on this thing, and then we are going to get out of here and find some pancakes. Sound like a plan? Okay, let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you speak to us. I thank you that you draw near to us in this Christmas season. Lord, as we think about the prophets, we think about the difficulties that they endured, um, Lord, I, I am prone and drawn to think about those who who struggled during the Christmas season, those who have experienced loss this year and will be going through Christmas for the first time, uh, perhaps without loved ones for the first time, far from family. So I ask, Lord, that your spirit of comfort would fall upon those who are hurting and not looking forward to this Christmas season. I also pray, God, that in the midst of the high stress that Christmas can bring on us, that we would turn to you, as we'll see in this passage today, as our refuge. Lord, you are our refuge, and so often we forsake this fact. So often we try to press forward and find safety without you. Let us learn from Moses today what it means to see you and have you and embrace you as our eternal refuge. I thank you for this word. Speak to us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, before I just got to say this is this is a nerd moment and I can do this here um, because you already know I'm out of my nerd closet. This is my first leather Bible I've ever owned in 20 years of following Jesus because I got it on a super sale. It smells like beef jerky, so it makes me want to read it all the time. and I'm, I'm test driving it today. So if you're following along, you might notice there's a couple words that are a little bit different. I just, I love the way it feels. I love the way it smells. And I've been reading it. And I thought, I'm just going to preach from it because no one is here to tell me uh, don't do that. So we're in Psalm 90, verse 1. And I'm going to read through a large chunk of this. Now, I want you to picture this is Moses. He's in the desert, he's leading the Israelites through the desert. That's a 40 year journey. And he is talking about God as his refuge in the midst of this massive exodus. Verse 1, Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. You return mankind to the dust, saying, return, Descendants of Adam. For in your sight, a thousand years are like yesterday that passes by, like a few hours of the night. You end their lives, they sleep. They are like grass that grows in the morning. In the morning it sprouts and grows. By evening it withers and dries up. So this, Moses is writing this because he's seeing his people die one after the other. A group of two million people going through the desert, probably funerals every single day. And this is why he's saying this. We, we came from dust. We are going back to dust because he's watching his people die after saying that God is their refuge. And here we keep going. Verse 7. For we are consumed by your anger. We are terrified by your wrath. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days ebb away under your wrath. We end our years like a sigh. Our lives last 70 years. Or if we are strong... Eighty years. Even the best of them are struggle and sorrow. Indeed, they pass quickly and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger? Your wrath matches the fear that is due you. Teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop, within wisdom, develop wisdom within our hearts. We'll pause right there for a second and we're going to jump back. Okay. Safe places right? We're familiar with this phrase now. College campuses have safe spaces. Um, I'm a a fan of safe spaces, but not on college campuses. I am a fan of safe spaces like the family should be a safe space for you to raise your children. Uh, The church should be a safe space to worship God. The church should be a safe space where we can come here and not have a fear of somebody condemning us. And this concept of refuge is throughout the Bible, now, we don't use the word refuge very often. Does anyone use that in their daily vocabulary? I mean, like, unless you're a mother of kids under five, you're not using refuge very often. And if you are a mother or a father, and you're like me, the refuge is, as I've joked many times, the bathroom. It's the only safe place in my house is any of the restrooms. You lock the door, you put a towel under there so their creepy crawly fingers can't come under and find you, um, and you just distract them. Sometimes modern day parenting, and this is bad, you can judge my parenting, I'm okay with this. Literally, I'll throw a screen one direction like an iPad, and then I run the other direction because the kids will chase that like a squirrel, and then I find my refuge. Now, the the Bible's concept of refuge is a little bit different than what we may think. I remember, and many of you remember, this past September, which was the first time for me ever in my life being in what I would consider a actual three-dimensional refuge, right? We called her Irma. And I remember because I'm not a I wasn't accustomed to all the things. Now I'm prepared, you guys. I've got the storm shutter holes ready to go. I've got the wood that fits. But literally the night before Irma, as as a kid who's not from Florida, I was watching everybody, thinking like, "What is the big deal with this? Like, I know it's on the news. I know Facebook is stressing me out. But then all of a sudden, all of my neighbors they just start getting boarded up like crazy. And I'm looking at my house and my kids, and I'm telling my wife, "You got to go. You got to leave. I'm staying here." And she's like, we can't go now, it's too late, the traffic. I said, that's it, we're going to board up one window, <laughs> one window. We have one room downstairs with one window. So I boarded that up, and we had to go find wood, which was scarce at that point in time. Like, I was ready to barter water with people to find wood. That's how desperate I was getting. I was just freaking out. But I had this massive refuge, and then we put, I drug all the mattresses from upstairs, downstairs, so we had our den, and it was just a giant mattress. And at the time, my in-laws were, were staying with us. This is before their house was built. So we had me, Amy, the three kids, and my mother and father-in-law in a room that's about, I don't know, 10 by 12. So the mattresses are out, the batteries, the lamps, the phone chargers, the phone backup batteries, the, the phone backup backup batteries, because that's what was important to me, was Facebooking during the storm. Um, and we, we saw the storm coming. We're all on the site. We're all like just addicted to Dennis Phillips, the weatherman. Are we going to make it? And then the noise started. just But then it started to like get beat up by the land. And I don't know how these things work. So then my father-in-law and mother-in-law are like, well, we think it's we're in the clear. It's only going to be a category one hurricane. So we're going to go upstairs and sleep. And I'm like, oh, good. So I get this refuge to myself. And my in-laws are going to die right above me. I'm going to hear their screams in the night. And we get down in the refuge. And we close all the doors. And literally... I fell asleep. I did some funny videos, went outside to feel what a hurricane-type wind felt like. And then I went in, and everyone's hanging out. And then all of a sudden, I don't know if it was just like the exhaustion of the week waiting for this storm, or if it was the the beverages. I just fell asleep at like 9 o'clock. My kids are awake watching Netflix, and I'm just drooling in the refuge. I missed the whole first half of the storm. I woke up, and I I thought, it is eerily quiet. I think it must have passed. I didn't know what was going on, because I was in the safest room in my house. My in-laws could have been dead. I don't know. It was quiet. I I tried to listen, because I didn't want to, like, open the door. Like, I don't know how hurricanes work. I've seen videos, and I've seen movies like Sharknado. It's, like, my closest comparison. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking, if I open the door, what if there's, like, wind that's just gushing everywhere? So I crack open the door. And I go to the front door, crack open the front door. It's about one in the morning. And I look up and there's just stars everywhere. And I think, I missed the whole storm. I, I didn't even hear it. I slept right through it. Now, I wish, I wish that all of life was that comfortable. I wish that I got that good of a night's sleep on any other night of the year. I wish that when life's hardest circumstances collided against my life, I felt safe and secure enough to just close my eyes and smile away into a slumber. I wish. And this is the type of refuge that that Moses sees in God. Moses sees a refuge that spans for all people, he has been our refuge in every generation. It says, before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are, you are God. I put so much hope in those storm shutters. I put so much faith in that room to keep my family safe. I know many of you did. For some reason, we, are, we do this very easily with physical danger. We know if something's in danger, we go to a safe place where we can be kept from harm. But many of us, when spiritual danger comes barreling at our lives, we don't know how to go to God as our refuge. We simply stand and take the bombardment of pain. We stand and we just take the attacks of the enemy. Many of us are ill-equipped to hold up the shield of faith to block the darts of sin and death and pain. So how do we do it? How do, we, how do we come to God as a refuge? First, I think it has to do with perspective. I love the, the fact that the Bible talks about death. Verse 3 says, you return mankind to the dust, saying return descendants of Adam. Adam came from the dust, Adam goes to the dust. No matter where you are in the scheme of, of what happens in the afterlife, some people say, no, there is no soul, we don't go to heaven. Um, you can't argue that we started as dust and we end as dust. And even if you don't believe, well, did Adam really start as dust? You can totally discount that if you want to. I wouldn't. But we all end as dust. We all go in a box or in a fire, and we all end up as dust eventually. Moses saw this leading people through the desert. Time after time, people going from life to death. We talked about death last week, so I don't want to emphasize it too much. But if you want to have God as your refuge, part of you has to begin to understand how frail you are. If you understand your spiritual frailty, your physical frailty, then you will be more inclined to run to God as your refuge. It's the same as with children now. When my kids are in danger, they run to me. I love it, except for Savannah. She doesn't run to me. She runs toward danger. Um, but my, my reasonable kids, they run to me when they're in danger. Yesterday, um, Savannah and Jackson, they were in a fight about peanut butter. Now, I know this seems trite to you, but Savannah, you have to remember, is only this big, and Jackson's like this big, um, and they were fighting about peanut butter, and all I heard from upstairs was screaming, and usually, I give it a good four or five screams before I kick into action, okay, because I've been on this low-carb thing, so I'm like, scream number one, that doesn't sound like blood or broken bones, scream number two, no, still not going to do it for me, but then when I hear screams and like somebody clawing up the stairs for freedom then I'm like, I should probably get up and do some parenting. Um, So what happened yesterday was there was a peanut butter battle where Savannah wanted peanut butter. And Jackson was the great peanut butter god. He withheld the peanut butter. Savannah does not take kindly to withholding of food. So Savannah took the metal spoon that was supposed to be for peanut butter, and she delivered it to Jackson's ribs with the repeated ferocity of a Floyd Mayweather attack. So Jackson was just crawling for his life. Just free me from this beast. And he comes up to me, and, and any of my kids, whenever they get hurt, and I still love this. I, I don't know when this ends, but I'm going to cry the day that it ends. I love it when my kids get hurt, and they run to me, and they do that thing where they just run, and they grab your leg, and it's like when they have you, they're not scared at all. I love that. One day that's going to end. I know that's going to end one day. I don't know when it is. I, it's probably some time between when they're this big and this big. It's probably some time between 12 and like 13, that eventually they just say, I'm going to be my own protector. And they're going to have to learn to, to find refuge in God themselves. But I love that sense that they feel like I can protect them no matter what. And I, I believe that I can or I would try. So many of us don't run to God in that same way. Many of us feel like we can't run to God because of what we've been doing. But we know in our own lives, it doesn't matter what our kids just did. If they run to us, we will hold them and protect them. for for the most part, if we ask ourselves, what would a healthy parent do? If your kid is running to you for help, I've not met parents who the kid says, mommy, daddy, help, and you just turn and go, no, why? Because we're parents. If you have that parent and you're in here, come talk to me later. We'll have conversations with your parents. We hold the kids and keep them safe. They understand that they're weak and they need somebody stronger than them to step in. Eventually, we will all die. What does it mean, then, if we are going to go to dust to come to God as an eternal refuge? Moses wants us to know that he is God from eternity to eternity. Moses wants us, wants us to know that for us, what seems like a, a lifetime, what seems like forever, is the snap of a finger to God. Have you guys ever wondered the paradoxes of time that exist? If you want to freak out my wife, she's not here. She'll be here uh, around 10 o'clock. So right after this service, if you see her, you want to freak her out just say something about heaven lasting forever to her. Just say, hey, isn't it great that we get to be in heaven and then go full Sandlot forever? And you'll see her, she'll smile because she's happier now that she's not sick, but she'll start to sweat because the idea of forever is scary to a lot of us. The idea of forever is what are we gonna do for forever? When we die here, do we get a harp? Do we get blush? Do we get wings? Do we play kumbaya for 10,000 years? Is that what heaven is like? Because that's forever. What are we going to do when we get tired of whatever we started doing in heaven? Are we going to be able to get tired of things? God's view of time is very different from ours. He sees our life like a blinking past, just here, gone. He sees our country. It's going to be here and gone. We think of our country as long-standing. Our country is a baby. America is a country in pull-ups, if that. We might still be in size four. There are countries that have long passed that we rarely think of now. If you want to see God as a refuge, you have to understand his perspective of time. We are in the midst of time. We're traveling through it. Time is something that is changing all of us. Time is something that is, that is affecting the way we see and think. For those of you who are, um, I would say, over- Let's say midlife. So midlife is like, depending on how old you're going to be, 36 to 39 is midlife. After that, you're on the back end of the pie of your life. And for those of you who are older than like four, we say this all the time. You hear the people say this on their birthday. Man, every year just seems to go by faster and faster. Now, it's mathematical why that works. Because if you have one pie, that is your life. When When you're two, you have one, two. When you're four, you have one, two, three, four. But then when you're like 40, the slice of pie that you're living is super thin. Are you tracking? It's like nobody's going to the cheesecake saying, I want one fortieth of this pie because you can eat it far too fast. You want one fourth of the cheesecake. When you turn 50, your pie slice gets even thinner, which is why after each birthday, your life is accelerating. It doesn't feel like it's accelerating. It actually is. You're actually living a smaller fraction of your life than you were the year before. Now, you might be all of a sudden getting terrified, like, wait a second, how old am I? Now, I know some of you math people are like, wait, that doesn't make sense. No, it makes sense if you're talking in fractions, not in how fast the earth is orbiting the sun. But the fraction of your life is shrinking year after year after year. And I like how Moses says this. He says, some of these people live till 70, and only the strong until they're 80, Like, if that doesn't scare some of us, I don't know what does. If you're over 70, you're thinking, wait a second, yes. You're thinking, I'm strong or I'm about to die. It's one of two options. Now, this was before the medicine that we have, thankfully. But it's this idea that as our life gets shorter and shorter and closer and closer, we have smaller and smaller slices, we begin to wonder, how how am I going to end this thing? And this is why so many people in the end of life, seek refuge in God. Have you ever wondered why the majority of churches across our country, the average ages are skewed toward older people? It's because they're cramming for a final. You've got to meet God face to face. It's the final countdown. You go in, you meet him. Now, I'm cramming for a final all the time because I hope to die young, ish. My wife doesn't like that, but but I'm excited to meet God. So I'm preparing. Lord, I'm dust. I'm about to be dust. Any day I could be dust. So I want you to be my covering. Moses, I think, saw God as a refuge because he understood and saw death day after day. He understood that the pie slices of his life were getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And whether you're 12 or whether you're 80, I think it's important to understand that you are dust, to not wait until you're older, to not be the typical church body or group of people that that are skewing older because they're scared of what's going to happen at the end, but rather to come to God while you're young. Because here's what's terrifying. Verses 7 to 12, Moses basically says, you see all of our sin. It's all before you in the secret place. It's one of those youth pastor tactics that we do to you to guilt people. If you want to know how to, to guilt people and to temporary change, you say, just imagine. And I love doing this, too. It's my, one of my favorite moves. And I would do this as a youth pastor all the time. Imagine if a TV was above your head and all of your dirty secrets were just airing 24 hours a day. Every thought that popped into your head, every image that popped into your head, just immediately HDMI quality, 4K, right above your head. People usually think, well, I would never go outside. I wouldn't have any friends. I wouldn't have a husband, wife, kid. They wouldn't, no one would love me. I mean, if I had this for one day, I'm sure my kids would be terrified. If they knew what was in my mind versus what the Holy Spirit of God restrains and then lets me put out, my kids would not run to me because I'm a normal human. When my kids do something, when my daughter beats my son with a metal spoon, my first inclination isn't Let me talk to her about God's grace and forgiveness. That's not my first inclination. My first inclination is, you use spoon, I use spoon, zugga-zugga, caveman. That's it. And I rein it in. I said, this is not the gospel to teach my daughter just to be terrified of me, and that's why she doesn't hit. I don't want her to stop hitting her brother because she's terrified of me. I want her to stop hitting her brother because she loves her brother, and because no matter what she thinks causing him pain will do, she'll learn to understand that, whatever he did did wrong, Jesus died for, so she did not have to beat him. Because that's what what kids do, and that's what adults do. When we want to lash out at somebody, we gossip, we cause pain, we get angry, we yell. All we are doing is trying to punish somebody for the thing that we think they did wrong, because in that moment, we're saying, whatever Jesus did for you wasn't enough, so I'm going to add on to your punishment. Now, that's scary. So this is why we need our refuge. And the good thing about our refuge is that Christianity, as far as I know, and you can question me about this if you have other evidence. As far as I know, Christianity is the only religion where you can bring all of your sin to God, and God is still your refuge. It's the only one that I know of. You can look at the other religions. You, could, you can look at Jehovah's Witness. You can look at Mormons. You can look at a Hindu. You can look at Buddhism. Christianity is the one religion that I'm aware of where you can say God is, This is all of my junk. This is all of my sin. This is all of my bad. And God says, I will cover you and protect you and hold you. No other religion does that. Every other religion in the world, even many, many Christian followers, they believe that you have to get your junk out of your life and and not have it spread out in front of you, and then God will protect you, cover you, be your God. But this psalm says, God is our refuge, verse 1. And then it says, And God sees all of our sin. And he's mad at it because he hates sin, but He is still our refuge. Now in verse 13, Moses wants to ask God some questions. Saying, God, he's in the desert. Why aren't you keeping us safe? Lord, how long? Turn and have compassion on your servants. This verse 14, I pray this verse every single day. Satisfy us in the morning with your faithful love so that we may shout with joy and be glad all our days. I pray this verse before I read the Bible. I I ask God to satisfy me in the morning with his faithful love, because my heart is prone to be satisfied with other things. I want to be satisfied with the things of this world, so I ask God, God, satisfy me this morning with your love, and not with these other things, because I want eternal joy. And then it says in verse 15, Make us rejoice for as many days as you have humbled us, and for as many years as we have seen adversity. Let your work be seen by your servants, your splendor by their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be on us. Establish us for the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. Now this describes life in God's refuge. In God's refuge, we are satisfied with him and his love. In God's refuge, there is rejoicing and joy. In God's refuge, running to God, hiding in God, being in God. We will be blessed in God's refuge. We get to see what God is doing. We get a behind-the-scenes look at God. In God's refuge, he establishes for us the work of our hands. This is good news because God's refuge isn't a place where we go and hide. God's refuge is a place where we get changed to go be changed in the world. The very end of this psalm about refuge is the fact that after we come to God as, as our refuge, we go out and we do the work of our hands. Now, Moses didn't understand or know what was coming fully, but our refuge is in Christ. We can go to the cross freely. Our sin is laid out before us. We can walk boldly and bravely to the cross of Christ. There, God, is our refuge. In that moment, we get changed, and now we get to go walk out and bring change to others. God's refuge is not one where we just hide away from the world. There are many camps of Christianity. Um, my least favorite is the Christian bubble camp. And people get in, it. it's easy to fall into. I've been in the Christian bubble camp a lot because I'm a pastor. Here's how that works. You become a follower of Jesus. And what do they generally say? You, they say, okay, I am new. What do I do? And you say, okay, you've got to get in this discipleship class, this small group, whatever it is, this next steps. So you get in the next steps class, and you meet everyone. Hey, hey, my name is Bob. What's your name? Bob, Bob, Susie, Bob, Bob, Susie. Okay. You meet all these people. They're great. They love Jesus too. They're new. And then all of a sudden, six months goes by and you complete class 101. And then all of a sudden they say, okay, what do do I do next? I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian for six months. What now? Well, now you do, you know, class 201. And you go to class 201 and you're there and you meet all the people. Hi, I'm such and such. I'm here for discipleship 201. What's your name? Oh, hey, Bob, Bob, Susan, Bob, Bob, Susie, Susie, Bob. And you meet everybody. And then a year goes by. And then a year and a half, and you've done 301. You're a greeter. You're an offering person. You're doing all these things. And then the pastor says some sermon like, hey, I want you to go talk about Jesus with your friends that don't know Jesus. And then you look around and think, friends that don't know Jesus? I don't have any of those. Why don't we have any of those? Because we Christian bubbled you. We put you in the box surrounded you with only Christians, because we said that, is the, that must be the best way, because Lord forbid we stand next to people who don't love and follow Jesus. Lord forbid we, we hang out with somebody who cusses sometimes. You know, that'd be the worst, and it's hard to fight this urge. With my kids, for example, my kids are, they love to ride their bikes, and I want to know everything about all of their friends, so I listen and I want to know, and I'll ask Jackson, who does this? Who says this? And if I see them playing, I will hide at the park like a creeper and eavesdrop, because I want to know, what are these kids doing? What are these kids saying? Why are my kids coming home bleeding? So now I know, like, okay, this is the angry kid. This is the foul-mouthed kid. This is the, the mean kid. Like, I got them all cataloged, and I've cataloged my own kids, but one of them's here, so I can't talk about that right now. Now, with my kids, I'm tempted to say, I don't want you hanging out with him. We've all done this, if you're a parent. I don't want you hanging out with him. And it's come out of my mouth. And when it comes out of my mouth, I want to take it back. Because if I say that to my kid, it's the same attitude that would talk to an adult and say, is this the best person for you? Now, it is not always good to be influenced by those people around you. And, and toward the negative. If you go into a group and they begin to bring you away from God, you need to understand that generally speaking, you are going to be the average of the five people around you. So take the five people, how successful, how rich, how kind, how unkind, how spiritual, how unspiritual. You are generally going to be the average of those five people. You take them, add them together, divide by five. I think that's how averages work, right? That's you, generally. So you want somebody strong with you, that loves the Lord, but you don't want to distance yourself from people who don't know God. Because when you do that, when you go in the Christian bubble, all of a sudden you're in the wrong type of refuge. Not a refuge that goes outward to share God's love, but a refuge that is all about just keeping you safe. Not a refuge that says, I can go somewhere and be with people who are different from me for the sake of loving them, but a refuge that weighs all of life with safety parameters that the Bible never set up for us. The Bible never set up safety parameters for the things that we have done as followers of Jesus. Uh, For example, music. People ask me all the time that don't come here. If I come to your church, what kind of music or movies or media am I not allowed to listen to? Or if I come to your church, will you tell me not to watch this or to watch that? If I come to your church, what sort of things? Because people want to know. And I say, if you come to my church, you can listen to Metallica, but not in the parking lot, only in the lobby. And if you watch rated R movies, it has to be on the big screen, but it has to be about Jesus or war. Otherwise, we can't show it. Now, I I don't have those because I don't know where people are at. I don't know what their issues of life are, but I do know one thing for sure. I, I know that I value teaching my kids things that are not appropriate for their age. I don't let my kids play the shooting games. And it's not even because I'm a Christian. It's because I look at the number of shootings in our country, and I look at the number of shooting games, and I think, this doesn't add bode well for our future. That's the only reason. It's not a huge Jesus reason. There's a there's some Jesus in there, I'm sure I could make it Jesus y if that would make you feel better. But at the end of the day, it's purely sociological. People are shooting people, bunches of kids are shooting people on games. I don't want that. Doesn't make sense to me. So I don't. I'm not doing it for some profound theological reason. I don't even need to go that deep in my life. Now, am I gonna tell other people that? Hey, hey, if you come to the chapel. No call of duty. Of course not. We lose like 75% of the adult males. (laughs) So why would I do that? No, I I want instead to stir up our hearts to ask the question, what can I do to love Jesus more today than I did yesterday? It might mean that we don't play call of duty. It might mean that we have a a chapel family that, that shifts away from certain types of media, but it's not because they're arbitrary rules set up to be Christian bumpers, but rather we see them as obstacles that get in the way of going to God as our refuge and then launching out from our refuge to bring others in. This is the good news of Moses's refuge psalm. I pray that this Christmas it would be yours, that we would come out of the Christian bubble, and if you're in the Christian bubble, there's only one way to get out of it. You've got to pop it. You've got to pop it like a dot-com bubble. You just got to say, I'm getting out of here. I'm meeting somebody that's different from myself. If everyone that you know uh, carries a Bible with them, if everyone that you know uh, uses all of the Christian cuss word substitutes, if everyone that you know uh, names their kids after Bible prophets and old dead guys in Christianity, it's time to pop the bubble and walk out. And it's not comfortable, it's not easy. But it's worth it, and it's what God has called us to do. And when you do pop out, you'll begin to see that God has already prepared for you works. Works that will bring other people into the refuge. And I can't explain how it happens or why it happens, but it just happens. At Cool Beans, we meet every Saturday, a group of guys. And yesterday at the end of our meeting, the social media person for Cool Beans says, Hey, we're starting this new thing where we're interviewing customers at Cool Beans. Can you be the first one? And I said, sure, where is this going? Well, on Instagram, i like, cool, can I say Jesus? Because I'm going to. And she said, yeah. I said, are you going to edit out Jesus? And she said, no. I said, then I'm in. And it was so much fun. Now, this person, I don't know where they're at with God, but I did counter-interview them, so I, I know a little bit now, but I didn't know when they were asking me questions. But I, I do know this, I, as I talked about God, it wouldn't have been possible if we weren't away from the church, if we did every Bible study here, if we did every small group here. No, it's it's why we go to Cool Beans. It's why I like to go to bars and write messages. It's why we go out. This is what we call missionary lifestyle. God didn't create a refuge for us to stay in. He created a refuge that now wraps around us and goes with us wherever we go. So we bring the refuge, the cross of Christ, with us into every situation. I pray that that would be your Christmas um, mission mindset as you go forth, that God will keep you safe and protect you as he sends you out to do his works. Let's pray. Father, you are good, and it is um, is a cold day outside. God, it is a perfect day to invite over people for hot chocolate. It is a perfect day to go for a walk with a family. It is the perfect day to wrap presents and watch the Grinch. I pray that no matter what the families today are doing, that we, we as your people, would seek refuge under your wings, that we would understand how brief our life is, that we would understand how loving and covering your embrace and your arms over us. Lord, satisfy us this morning with your faithful love so that we may shout with joy and be glad all our days. In Jesus' name, amen.